This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, helping you unlock money you didn't know you had. Members-only discounts that can save you tons. Find out more at carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. Terry Mosher, a.k.a. the iconic cartoonist Aislinn, gets the stamp of approval from Canada Post. And there was an epidemic of loneliness in the before times and the pandemic made it worse. I talk with the author of The Lonely Century about how we can fix it. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Three people at the head of the pharmaceutical company Moderna just debuted on the Forbes Top 400 Wealthiest People in America list. Nubar Afayan, the chairman and co-founder, came in at number 212. Robert Langer, another co-founder and MIT professor, was number 222. And Timothy Springer, a Harvard Medical School professor and early investor, was number 176. They have a combined worth of $158 billion now that the company's stock is up more than 300% from a year ago. 51 billionaires also dropped off the ranking, and that list includes Donald Trump. Almost half of all people with breast cancer use marijuana or CBD often during treatments, to ease side effects including pain, anxiety, insomnia, and nausea. According to an online survey from breastcancer.org, 75% of survey respondents who used cannabis said it was extremely or very helpful in relieving their symptoms. The city of Shanghai has more than 3,400 centenarians, and 20 of them were honored as longevity stars this week as part of China's Double Ninth Festival, a day to cherish the elderly. Xu Suzhen is the city's oldest residence at 114 years old. She's a vegetarian and loves playing cards. Two men aged 110 are the oldest males in the city, which also boasts four centenarian couples. The oldest has a combined age of 205 years. Seventy-five year old Canadian music legend Neil Young has announced a new album is on the way. It's called Barn. The 10-track release drops December 10th. Neil says it was written and recorded over the past year while he and his band Crazy Horse were cooped up during the pandemic. He's made one track available on his subscriber website called Song of the Seasons. Neil says it's the oldest song on the record written last year while he was back in Canada. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. 
Cartoonists make a living lampooning the establishment, but now five of them are getting an honor reserved for national icons, their own stamps. The legendary Terry Mosher is an Idea City alumnus who draws for the Montreal Gazette under the name Aislin. I reached him in Montreal. I must admit, I'm still still quite quite pleased about all this because it's very unusual to be on a stamp. The stamp is a stamp that has a Canadian beaver and a Russian bear with hockey sticks commemorating the 1972 series. Uh, yes, it is. I was quite pleased the fact that they chose the uh, Canada-Russia hockey series because I had done many drawings during that period. I was actually in Moscow. Uh, and doing sketches of all kinds of things. So it's uh, it was a high moment in my life, so I'm very glad, and and uh, a very important uh, date in Canadian history. And when did you actually draw it? Well, actually, I drew that cartoon for the 40th anniversary of the Canada-Russia Hockey Series in 2012, a drawing for the Gazette celebrating it. So it has more of a modern look to it than one of my older cartoons. Did you have a hand in choosing it, or did they choose it? The only hand we had, uh, all of the cartoonists, Brian Gable, of course, Bruce McKinnon, Seth Chaplot, and, of course, Ian McPherson, uh, Duncan McPherson's son, uh, because Duncan is no longer with us, we all selected cartoons they may want to have a look at. But the, the choices were totally made by uh, by uh, Canada Post. The thing is that with Canada Post, they have to be careful. They can't have a purely political cartoon. They can't have one that's purely in English or in French. So there's, even though you know some cartoons we're very well known for are in a language, uh, in my case, English, in the case of Seth Chapeau, perhaps in French, and they would like it to be understood by all Canadians. When they gave the reason, they said that you and the other cartoonists have enlightened and entertained us and contributed to the national debate. What do you think of that reasoning? Cartooning has always, since you know the country was founded, has always been an important aspect of commentary on the state of the country, going right back to uh, 1867. Uh, so we're pleased that they chose ours, and also the fact, uh, Libby, that only one other cartoonist in Canadian history has been chosen for a stamp. His name was Henri Julien, and he worked in the late 1890s here in Montreal. One of the things that occurs to me is like, so they are recognizing you, but basically your job is to mock institutions, to kind of poke the bear, to be a bit of a thorn to people in in power. Does this kind of make you part of the establishment? I'm not. I think it's sort of an old-fashioned concept of being anti-establishment. I'm part of the establishment in the sense that, thankfully, in Canada, uh, we have enough room for satire to be part of, of the mainstream. And so, sure, if you want to call me part of the establishment, I guess I am. I'm 78 years old, and uh, I guess I used to be a little more of a disturber of things when I was younger. But I still can poke the bear occasionally. You talked about being 78. I gather you have no plans to retire? Well, I've changed direction. I think uh, I, it's easier for me to to just concentrate on doing things I want to and ignoring everything else. I don't take orders from anybody anymore. I just I put books together, and I do sort of what I want to do. How does being a Zoomer inform your work? Does your age 
impact your work at all in terms of the way you see things? I evolve. Everybody evolves. If anybody's creative, if they don't evolve, there's something wrong. In other words, you can't stick with the same style forever and ever. You bore people after a while. I follow my nose. That's all I do. It's it's what I've done all my life. So, of course, things evolve and change. And probably the best, most important thing to do, and this isn't just for cartoonists. This is for any creative person. Keep curious. Great advice. Terry Mosher, thanks so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. That was Terry Mosher, a.k.a. Aislinn. His latest book is Aislinn's Favorite COVID Cartoons from Around the World. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, how modern life made this a lonely century and what to do about it. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, fighting against ageism in the workplace and the marketplace. Find out more at carp.ca. We usually talk about loneliness in terms of health, but author Norena Hertz has put an economic lens to it, explaining how the way we live has fragmented our communities and what we can do about it. I called her in London to talk about the lonely century. Loneliness is definitely a health issue. We know that when people are lonely, they're more prone to anxiety, they're more prone to depression, but they're also more subject to physical health problems. When you're lonely, you have a 29% higher chance of getting heart disease, a 32% higher chance of getting a stroke, 64% chance of developing dementia. So we know that loneliness has got physical and mental health implications as well. But it also has a very significant economic cost. An economic cost because these healthcare costs put a burden on our healthcare systems, but also because in the workplace, we know that lonely workers are less productive, less efficient, less motivated, more likely to quit a company than workers who aren't lonely. And given that Even before the pandemic, 40% of office workers globally felt lonely. That's a serious problem for business and for the economy. You say that our society is set up in a way that increases loneliness. How so? In a number of ways. One very obvious way is ever since the financial crisis of 2008, when governments went on their purse-tightening agendas, What we saw across the world has been governments making cuts in what we might think of as the infrastructure of community, in public libraries, in public parks, in youth clubs, in elderly daycare centers, in community centers. People need physical spaces to be able to come together and do things together. And we've seen that slashed in recent years. So that's that's part of the reason that we've got here. Um, But there's more, of course, at play. Our phones um, are clearly part of the problem, especially social media platforms. Uh, I really began my research not having a position on whether social media made people lonelier or not. But as I unpacked the research and interviewed many people, 
it became very clear to me that they are a real problem. And when we're talking about social media companies, we really should be thinking about them very much like tobacco companies. And as such, they really should be regulated much more carefully and seriously, given that they are designed to keep us addicted to them, designed to keep us essentially away from in-person interactions, which are actually much more fulfilling. Is there a demographic aspect to it? The young are actually the loneliest generation, which is surprising to many people. So actually, under 24s are the loneliest generation, but elderly loneliness is a very serious problem too. In the United Kingdom, where I'm from, two in five retirees say that their main form of company is their television or pet. In the United States, 60% of nursing home residents say that they don't have any visitors at all. So loneliness is definitely a problem for seniors, but surprising to some, especially problematic for the young. You cite some examples of people going to pretty big lengths to overcome loneliness in Japan, uh, older women committing pretty, petty crimes so they would end up in jail. It's, it's, it's really quite sad and moving that the fastest growing demographic of people being incarcerated in Japanese prisons are over 65s. And when researchers looked into why this was, what they found out was that significant numbers of elderly Japanese were intentionally committing relatively minor crimes like shoplifting just in order to be jailed so that they could find company and companionship and community, something which they were not finding and and were being denied in the outside world. And that is that is that is that is very sad. On the positive side from Asia, there's actually a very heartwarming story of the real boom in South Korea of what are called colatex. These are daytime discotheques for retirees, um, which thousands of people attend on a daily basis, or at least the pandemic did, uh, before the pandemic were attending on a daily basis. Thousands of people going and dancing in the daytime in these daytime discos, which I absolutely love the idea of that. Your country was a trailblazer, establishing a ministry and a minister of loneliness back in 2018. Uh, did it accomplish anything? Much too little is the reality. Um, you know, I think the trouble was that the minister wasn't given a significant budget, wasn't given a significant voice. It was a very junior ministerial position. And the such was pretty limited in what she could actually do. And and also the trouble with having a minister of loneliness and kind of putting that in some siloed back corner um, is that actually a lot of the solutions that governments need to do go beyond one minister's remit. So taking on social media companies, you know, that's something which needs to be done, but that wouldn't come from the Minister of Loneliness's remit or investing in the infrastructure of community or helping our local high main streets, many of which have really been suffering, especially through the pandemic. These are all things which other parts of government need to do. So tackling loneliness from a government standpoint 
needs to be a holistic, joined-up project. How has the pandemic accelerated all these things? What we've seen through the pandemic is escalating levels of loneliness across the globe within many countries, around half the population now saying that they feel lonely. Um, I think, you know, it's partly, of course, because we were, (laughs) you know, we haven't been, we for many, many months really were restricted in who we could see and often weren't really unable to see people at all. Um, But it also was to do with the fact that one of the trends that we've seen really escalate through the pandemic has been the rise of what we might think of as a contactless existence. So, you know, we're much more likely now to order meals through a food delivery service on, or um, order our groceries online or even do, or do exercises online. And these are things that, of course, during the pandemic, we were very grateful for. But the danger is that moving forward, that we will trade off unwittingly community for convenience and actually making that effort to go places and have in-person interactions is really essential. That chat that you have at your local bookshop or at your local grocers goes a long way in making you feel less lonely. We can also um, smile and say thank you more, um, something that we tend to do less of nowadays. Again, consciously connect with others in a positive way. Um, We can do more in our local community initiate community events, show up at community events, lots that we can do on that front. And then finally, we can really think, is there anyone in our own network right now who might be feeling lonely? And if there is, if we can, in a safe way, volunteer to meet up with them, or otherwise, just pick up the phone to them, or even just send them a text, just showing someone that you're thinking about them, that you care, can make a huge difference to how they feel. Norena Hertz, thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me on. That was Norena Hertz, author of The Lonely Century. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Hadi. Christine Ross and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.